Numbers 11, 1 through 6 says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Tibera, for the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude was among them, fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? So they had just got burned up for complaining. And they immediately complained again. I said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. This book is a very good book. And it's going to cover a lot. Seven weeks. Please try to be here for all of it. Also, if you haven't got the book, get the book and follow along. It's, it's, it's a great book. It would be a great read if you've never read a book by Mark Batterson. It's full of stories. He's probably going to have more stories. I know he's going to have more stories in his book than I'm going to tell tonight. Very easy to read. So get Mark Batterson. If you're scared of reading, I promise you can do it. And uh, try to get the book, and it's going to be great just so you can follow along with us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord God, I pray that you'll help us to win today. Lord, to take this principle to heart so that we can grow and become what you want us to be. And we give you the glory and the honor for everything you're going to do. Anoint me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the story of the Israelites, and there may be a couple places I get excited, but I probably won't get too excited tonight. I'm excited about teaching it, but I probably won't holler too much. But the story of the Israelites, Exodus from Egypt, is a story of change in identity renewal. They had their script flipped in such a way that it changed their entire trajectory of their nation. They struggled, however, with letting go of their past story even after they were liberated. They had been set free after 400 years, so they were no longer in change, but they couldn't convince themselves of it. They kept that mindset, and they struggled with it. And this book is about those 24 hours you have in the day. It's about winning that day. Winning these 24 hours, taking advantage of your 24 hours every day to do something special with it. And just kind of his intro, what he kind of talked about and what we'll be covering over the course of the series is we can't worry about yesterday. It's gone. We can't do anything about tomorrow. It's not here yet. So we have to do our best to focus on today, focus on what God has given us for today. And since I'm not teaching anymore about it, one, something I've learned as far as dealing with tomorrow is, and if, if you're struggling with sleeping, I just, I'm just going to tell you about this. If you're struggling with sleeping, you can't seem to get things under control because you're worried. Think about what you can do right there. And if you can't do any, whatever you can do, do it. But if you can't do anything about it, worry about tomorrow. Sleep on it. Put it on a shelf. Get it tomorrow. Well, that's, that's tomorrow. I don't worry about that anymore. All right. I, I had to throw that out there because I'm not talking anymore in this series. So they continually romanticized their past while continually felt frustration with their freedom and it seems mind-blowing how could somebody do that that how could somebody become free from slavery but still struggle with all these things because for some reason the devil is really good at convincing us to forget about the bad things of our past he's really good at letting us focus on the highlights and so that's something Israel was struggling with here they were they were looking back at the, the highlights of Egypt and they were forgetting about all the bondings all the, the the things they went through they were physically liberated Yet they did not mentally grasp the identity change that had taken place when God flipped the script in their life. So when Israel Israel left Egypt, they immediately had a chance for a new life. They didn't have to wait a year. They were immediately a different group of people because they were no longer in bondage. Nobody was going to be beating them. Immediately everything changed. But they couldn't grasp it. So here they were. They were living in this. And Moses, who had never lived as a slave, that's the thing about Moses. He had never lived as a slave. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. So this mindset that the people had didn't really register with him. He struggled to understand how could you be this way. 
because he had never been a slave. He never dealt with that struggle. And so he went back and forth with the people constantly because all they had ever known was slavery. All they had ever experienced was bondage and being forced to live a life with no dignity, no hope, and there's no path forward. All they ever knew that one day we might get out of here, but this is what I know. The only stories they had heard about the people they knew were in the context of somebody in slavery. So the real, their reality had colored their way that they viewed everything in life for so long that when the physical chains were gone, they still held the mind of a person in bondage. They still thought like somebody in bondage. You see, over and over again where they hit a wall, but instead of looking at what God was able to do, they always wanted to put it in context of Egypt. Well, look at the good things we had in Egypt. We had it made in Egypt. We were living in Egypt. We, we had a place to go in Egypt. In much the same way, we often find ourselves looking back when we get in our times of transition. We're trying to figure out where God's taking us. We're trying to figure out what's the next step. What's the next thing we're doing? And we constantly want to look back at where we came from. And instead of fixing our eyes on the prize, we start looking back where we came from. Looking back the struggles that happened in our life. We look at the things that happened that went wrong to us at times we were hurt. See, that's, that's the biggest thing is God wants to bring us forward, but our pain of our past just holds on to us because people let us down. Because people don't do what they said they were going to do, and we bear the scars of it. So true change can only come when we grasp that new reality, that we truly do have freedom. That God delivered them from Egypt, and God split the Red Sea for them. He meant it when he did it. And so when God does the work in our life, when God sets us free from the bondage of sin, when God delivers us from the chains of addiction, it really is God, and it really is powerful. And he can do, if he can do that, he's got more for us. You haven't found the end of God's miracles in your life. You haven't seen the end of what God wants to do in your life. God has more. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, God has more. God has more for you. Somebody, I believe, preached about it a couple weeks ago. So uh, I'm just going to say it was pastor. I'm not sure if it was. But a flea's vertical jump is around 36 inches high. They can jump about three foot high. And if you put that flea in a 12-inch jar, you put it in a pickle jar, put the lid on, it'll jump and it'll jump. And it'll hit its head on the, the lid and it'll just keep jumping until eventually it changes its jump till it'll jump just short of the lid. It'll stop jumping quite so high. It'll stop just short of the lid. And you can take the lid off and it'll still keep jumping just short of where the lid was. Because it's learned and changed its thought process to where if I, I can only jump this high. And it convinces itself that it's limited, even after the limits are gone. And it settles for something less than it's capable of. We do the same thing. We know that there's more out there. We know that, we, that God's going to use us mightily. We know that God has a great plan for our life because his word said so. But life has knocked us down over and over again. And we try to get up and life knocks us back down. And we try to move forward and life knocks us back down. And we tried in our past to do things and we couldn't do it. And before long, we don't even try anymore because we've been so beat down. Tonight, we want to change that, that thought process. September 26, 1983 marked the end of a run of 132 years in which America won a 53-mile yacht race called the America's Cup. I've, I've, I'm going to have a boat in it one year, I think, but trying, but um, apparently they don't take flat boats, so um, out of luck. So the Australia 2 was captained by John Bertrand and ended the longest winning streak in sports history with a 41-second margin of victory. And if you haven't tasted victory in 132 years, it's hard to imagine any other outcome other than defeat. It's hard to wrap your head around anything other than losing or at least coming in second to the Americans because it's been so long. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to convince yourself winning is possible. You've lost so many days and you're saying, well, how? I just don't think I can do this. The first step is saying, you know what? I can win the day. I can do this. I can win. So the first habit that we're going to talk about is flipping the script. You've got to rewrite the narrative by telling yourself a different story, a better story. So you've been told that you can't make it. You've been told you can't do anything for God. You've been told all the reasons why you'll never make it. Maybe we need to tell a different story. We need to tell ourselves a different story that that's not the end. There is more to me than you realized. See, several years before the 1983 America's Cup, the Australian skipper Mike Fletcher 
had read the classic novella, John Livingston Seagull. What a name. And the moral of the story was begin by knowing that you have already arrived. So he says, start by knowing that you've already arrived. So he took that line and he made a recording of the Australian team winning the race. There was a narrator narrating the race. There was a sound of a boat cutting through water and told the team to listen to it every single, listen to it twice a day. And so for three years, every day, twice a day, the Australian team listened to the sound of them winning the race. And so eventually when the time came, before ever setting sail, they had already won the race 2,190 times. Before they ever touched the water. So they beat the losing streak by flipping the script. They told themselves a different story over and over and over again. And they won that race because they had won it 1,095 days already. According to cybernetic theory, there's two types of change. And this, the first one is the one we normally lean to. It's called behavioral change. And it's just doing more things or less things. So if you're trying to lose weight, you eat less and exercise more. That's behavioral change. Let me change my behaviors, which is where we normally stop at. And there's the reason we normally fail, because when we're just trying to stop doing something we like doing, it's not so easy. I like to eat, so it's hard to lose weight by just not eating so much and exercising more. I hate exercise. It's crazy how it balances out. I hate exercise. And so it's hard for me to convince myself, so I might do it for a week, I might do it for a month, but that's just behavioral change. It's good. The, the motivation's going to run out. But the second order change is conceptual. It's mind over matter. Look at your neighbor and say, mind over matter. It's rewriting the narrative. It's, it's more than just I'm going to change my, my behaviors. I'm going to think about the way I look at this differently. Instead of let me eat less and exercise more, let me say I want to be around for my son when he graduates. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to accomplish something. I want to change my mind that I'm not just trying to follow the rules. I'm trying to become something more. And so what we're talking about tonight is more than just self-help. And if that's all we're doing, if we're just doing a self-help book, we could just turn on a TED Talk and just go on with our lives, watch it on the screen. But the future that God has for you is more than just making more money or achieving some secular dream. There's nothing wrong with making more money. There's nothing wrong with, having, there's nothing wrong with being successful in this world. But the real dream that God has for His church is raising a family that lives for God. It's, it's breaking the cycle of addiction in your family. It's being set free from the bondage of addiction and sin. It's living a godly life and sharing that with other people. The dream that God wants you to achieve, yeah, it may entail making more money. It may entail a promotion on your job. But at the end of the day, it points back to the kingdom. Because the kingdom is eternal. So it's important. To understand that a part of this process, salvation is one-sided. God's grace does all the work. We, we, we get baptized. We get filled with the Spirit. But God does the work. Salvation is a work of grace. But sanctification, everybody say sanctification, is two-sided. It's not just, God doesn't just touch us and we're sanctified and we're perfect. Because nobody in here is perfect. It hasn't worked yet. Sanctification is a process that requires us working with the Holy Spirit in us. To become what God wants to be. It's a process. And so what we're talking about is winning the day is concerned with that latter part. With the actual change. With the actual changing our life and becoming what God has called us to be. So John 14 and 26 said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Another version, King James says, Comforter, that the Spirit is not just there just to just float around in the service and give us goosebumps, but the Holy Spirit is given to empower us and to help us to change. I can't do this without the Spirit. I can't do it without the Spirit. If it's by my ability, I tried that and messed up royally. I tried William, and that didn't work. I can only do it by the Spirit. And all of us, we can try it by our flesh, but we're not going to get that far. We have to have the Spirit helping us become what God wants to be. If it was just a matter of changing our mindset and just thinking differently, we wouldn't need this book. We wouldn't need the Spirit. But it's more than just changing our mindset. It's redefining and understanding that who I am is not who I used to be. It's putting a new context on my story. That I am a child of God, bought by God for a greater purpose than I'm living right now. 
and I can become more than I am right now. And part of the Spirit helping us is we have to provide the Spirit opportunity. If the only time you pray is on Sundays, the Spirit's not going to be able to work on Monday. We have to allow ourselves time. Daily prayer and reading the Bible, I know, I don't think he said it in here at all, but I'm going to talk about it. Because it's important. God has to have a chance to work in our lives. We have to give God an opportunity. And, some, and when you're praying, you need to take time to listen to what God is saying. Because sometimes God's trying to tell you something and we're not listening. And God's trying to give you direction. And God's trying to say, hey, if you do this, your life will be a lot better. And we don't stop long enough to listen. That was extra. Conviction. Conviction is not a bad word. Everybody look at your neighbor and say conviction. I want you to sink in for a second. Conviction is that feeling we get when the Spirit moves our heart into alignment with God's word and God's plan. Conviction, like I said, it's not a bad word. It's when God pulls us back into alignment because we naturally get out of alignment. Conviction is when we're about to make a bad decision and God's Spirit says, hey, don't do that because that's a bad decision. Conviction is when God's pulling us back. So it can be uncomfortable. But the only way to live the life, the only way to win the day as God wants us to do is to have that voice in our life pulling us and aligning us with God's word. So we get this negative idea that conviction is just about God's going to fix you and and change you and God's going to rip stuff out. And that's not what conviction is all about. It's about keeping, helping us keep our thoughts in alignment with God's plan. See, because... I'll get ahead of myself. Mark Batterson said this. He said, according to some estimates, as many as 80% of our thoughts each day are negative. 80%. Four out of five. If the battle is won or lost in the mind, that sounds a lot like losing before the battle's even begun. Flipping the script starts with your internal script. You can't let your inner critic, and we all have one, grab the mic and become the narrator of your life. We all have a voice inside of us that says, you can't do this. It says you can't make it. And if you want to bury dead yesterdays, you've got to tune out the negative self-talk. How? You have to rehearse a different story. A habit I've, I've tried to get into over the years is when my wife, who's human, because we all are, starts just downing herself and saying, don't talk about my wife that way. Because we have to understand that we're all children of God. And so when I start talking down to myself, and ripping myself to shreds, I'm talking about one of God's children. I'm talking about one of God's most prized creation, that God's most prized creation that God died on the cross for. I'm bad mouthing them, even if it is myself. I don't have that right. I don't have the right to bad mouth God's creation, whether it's myself or anybody else. So before I start the negative self-talk, I need to stop and say, hey, hold on. I'm created for a purpose by God Almighty. See, conviction is the voice that tells my mind to stop rehearsing the story of failure and start speaking the story that God intends for me to have. I am naturally, and I've said it before, a very pessimistic, critical person. I am a very cynical person. If you just leave me alone to my own devices and and I'm working on something, I'm going to tear it to shreds a hundred times because I'm a very cynical person. And so I need, maybe not as much as other people, I think my negative self-talk is probably about 90, 95 That's why I have to tell myself these things. Because I need conviction to walk up behind me and hold his hand over my mouth when I'm trying to talk and point to the story that God's trying to tell. Because I'm going to tell this story, and I need conviction to stop me and say, be quiet, stop talking, and look at what God is trying to do in your life. Look at what you can become. I need the Spirit of God to remind me that my story is not defined by my past, by my mistakes, it's defined by God's plan. And as the Spirit moves me back into alignment, convicts me back into alignment, I have to throw aside those things that are trying to pull me out of alignment. So there's a verse that's been popping up lately, and I, I wasn't going to talk about it, don't really have a lot to do with it until I got in here. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. I think Kyle talked about it last week. I think it was. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are fighting a spiritual battle for our future. There's, a physical, there's physical things going on, but it's, it's spiritual in nature. And this battle requires that we destroy arguments and opinions that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. 
And so we can take those thoughts captive. Conviction reveals those ideas and those thoughts that go against the knowledge of God. Conviction shows us, hey, this is what's pulling against the purpose of God. So winning the day and flipping the script requires that we cast down thoughts that work against the knowledge of God. Well, if you want to know what the knowledge of God is, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know what God knows, God's knowledge is God knows the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What God knows about you, the knowledge of God, is that he has a plan for your good. And the thoughts that come, come around you and tell you you can't make it or try to rip you down and try to rip you to shreds, that's not a voice of God. That's the voices that we go to spiritual warfare against and say, I've got to take down that thought. I can't entertain that thought. I can't keep letting that thought play in my mind because that thought is going against the knowledge of God. So we have to deal with those things. See, God has a plan, and his plan gives us a future and a hope, and we have to cast down the thoughts to say otherwise. And embrace those thoughts that reinforce God's plan. Those voices that are saying you can make it, embrace them. Those voices that are saying you have what it takes, embrace them. Those voices that are saying, hey, you think you, you haven't scratched the surface. That's the voices that we have to embrace. One of the things he pointed out in the book was if you don't know your family history, it's like skipping the first few pages of a book or the first few minutes of a movie. It's hard to see how we got to this point when you don't know your family's history. I grew up on family land my whole life. I never even thought about it because I was just saturated in my family's history. I knew where everybody lived at. I could bring you back to the old well that was our great-great-great-grandpa's well when they originally settled the land in the 1800s. I can bring you all to that place because it was drilled in my head, my family history. And so... To, to understand what we are, to understand who we are as a person, we kind of need to know where we What's our family like? What's our family history? The same is true spiritually, but it's not quite the same. Because when we're born into the family of God, we're grafted into the story that God has been weaving since day one. Your story is not about your sins. Your story is about the bigger picture. The plan that God has been setting up for your life. The script is called scripture. And it contains our family history. It tells where we come from. It talks about our identity. It talks about who we are. It talks about what God wants us to be, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're a peculiar people, that we're, we're special, we're powerful. It lets us know that we're not just some random person walking through the world, but we have a, a background and we have a future. Your, the Bible is your backstory, and your life is the rest of the story. So flipping the script is more than just letting go of past mindsets. It's redefining the entire course of your life. Understand that you embrace a new history when you surrender to Christ. You let go of the old man and you, you surrender to a new history. Your old history started the day you were born. That's all you ever knew. But your new history started on the cross of Calvary. Your new history starts a little further back on Calvary when Jesus died for your sins. So before you ever sinned and before you ever made a mistake and before you were ever broken or hurt by somebody else's sin, the blood of Jesus was flowing and touching your life. Henry Ford was right when he said, whether you believe you can do a thing or not, you are right. For better or for worse, the stories we tell ourselves become self-fulfilling prophecies. It's been said... That sickness, a, a large percentage of sickness comes from what are we telling ourselves? That people can convince themselves that they're sick and cause themselves to have physical ailments because they convince themselves that they're sick. Consciously or subconsciously, we justify pieces of our personality and provide alibis for parts of our history. We make excuses for the issues we refuse to deal with. See, we can all agree with this when we excuse our character by saying, it's just the way I'm wired. The fruit of the Spirit say otherwise. We, we say, you know, I'm just, I'm, this is just the way I am. I'm wired this way. You've got to deal with it. And yeah, there are certain things you're never going to work out. But the fruit of the Spirit comes first. And part of winning the day and flipping the script is understanding, no, I can't just say that's who I am. I'm a new creature in Christ. I belong to Christ, and I can be something other than what I am in my flesh. And another one, when we maintain the status quo by saying, I've always done it that way. Anybody ever said that? Anybody's parents ever said that? That's just the way it is. 
I dressed dumb when I was a kid, and it used to drive my mom crazy. I wore some of the dumbest looking things. And my mom, her wear was tacky. It was tacky. But I could always get out of the house before she could stop me. And so I look back at our pictures of me and Erica's first date, and I'm like, my God. What in the world did they let me out? It worked. But, um, but the mindset, she would always say, that's not the way it is. That's just not what we do. And sometimes it's time to change the way we do things. Sometimes the way we've always done it isn't right. If the way you've always done it hurts people, it's not right. Mark Batterson, I'll get off of that, went on to challenge that. And he said, he asked, can I ask an honest question? He said, how is what you're doing working for you? Your system, your life, as it is right now, is perfectly designed for the results you're getting. Wherever you're at right now, if you're looking at dreams that haven't been fulfilled, the life you have right now is perfectly designed to keep producing the same exact thing. And if you want God to do something new, we can't keep doing the same old thing. See, everything is created twice. The first creation happens in here. It happens internal. Before it ever comes out, before it's ever made, before we ever see it, there's some internal dialogue. And the stories we tell ourselves eventually become the situations we find ourselves in. If you keep saying you're a failure, guess what? You're going to be a failure. If you keep saying, you know what, I'm going to beat this addiction, you're going to beat this addiction. Because God is with you. God wants to know what you're saying. So if you want to change your life, start by taking control of and stewarding your own story. And say, I want my story to be one of hope. See, the only way we can fulfill all that God is calling us to do is to live in alignment with his plan and his work. And getting in alignment requires letting go of past thinking and changing our story to match his story. But it's not always easy. It's not always easy to change what we're doing. True repentance. Everybody say repentance requires that we completely let go of our past. And a lot of times we think just about in the context of bad things, sins. But repentance is a little further than that because there's some things we're tied to that we need to let go of because it's going to lead to destruction. True repentance requires we let go of our past. Repentance is more than just apologizing for our past sins and changing our behavior to, to match some set of perceived expectations. That's legalism. If we're just trying to change our actions to match what we think they're supposed to be, and we have no principle, and we have no word behind, we, we're, that's just legalism. But repentance is turning our hearts, our minds, our desires, not just the actions that we produce, but the heart. What are we looking at? What are we thinking about? Our thoughts and our minds to align with the things of God. And as a result, the actions change. Your life changes as a result. It doesn't work the other way around. If we just try to change our actions, we're going to be frustrated. So it means to stop pursuing to the things that have led us to the place we are now. That's the thing about repentance. We're standing up and saying, God, I messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm not doing this right. I need your help. And repentance says, all right, I've done it this way up until now. Let me change that. Let's, let's become, let me look at your way. Let me turn my eyes toward your ways and let me follow your ways. And not only is it about sins, but it's also those things that include the plan that God has for your life. The, the intentions that God wants you to do. The things that God wants you to do. The dreams that God wants you to fulfill. Because in our own flesh, we dream small. But through God's spirit, sometimes we need to repent of small dreams. We need to repent of limiting God by, by, by what we think we can become. Repentance means stop entertaining the thoughts of defeat that have held us captive. Repentance is saying, you know what? I'm going to embrace what God's plan is for my life. I'm going to embrace that I'm not just average through the Spirit. I'm going to repent for limiting God, and I'm going to embrace the power that I have. Acts 3 and 19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We look at repentance so negatively sometimes. Repentance sets us up for, it creates an atmosphere where refreshing comes. Repentance is supposed to set us up for the refreshing of the spirit. It releases the tension between your past and where God is trying to call you to be. See, the foundational habit of all this stuff, before we can ever win the day, before we can ever grow forward and become what God wants to be, the foundational habit is to let go of everything behind me. It's to let go of yesterday. Let go of the mistakes I've made yesterday. Let go of the decisions I've made yesterday. Your past happened, but it doesn't define you. 
The things you've done, it, yeah, it happened. But your failed attempts, yeah, it happened. But that's not the end of your story. You haven't breathed your last breath. And you can't allow the scars of your past bondage to limit your ability to pursue your identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you break down the second half of that verse, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What it's saying is what it was from the beginning, what your life was from the beginning has perished. And all the things, all things are of an unprecedented, uncommon, or unheard of kind and begin to be far different from what they were before. It says the old beginning is gone. What you used to be, the old starting point is gone. And we get the opportunity to start this life over. But we don't start the life over the same way we did before. We start our life over as a very different creature than we were before. I get to start this race over, and I'm not the person I used to be. So when the old me lost today, and the old me couldn't accomplish anything that God was calling me to accomplish, and the old me couldn't do anything that God was telling me to do, the old creatures passed away, and I'm a new creature. I'm a new being. I'm not nothing like what I used to be, so I can become what I couldn't be before. We have to bury the dead dreams and move on to our future. Stop living by the rules of your broken past and start living in the freedom that comes with God's spirit. So you're free to seek after greater things because you're now living under a greater covenant. You're not living under the same things you were before. You're not living under the same weight that you were before, but you're free to establish what God wants to be established. You can become what God's called you to be because you're not what you used to be. Your new story is connected to a new life, a new way of living. I mean, I get quiet on me. Let's say flip the script. Say it again, flip the script. That was only like half of y'all. So... We understand that God sits outside of time. God has all power. There's nothing God can't do. If he wanted to, God could go back and change our past when we repent like it never happened. If he wanted to, God could step outside of time and all those mistakes you repented of, he could wash them away like they never happened. And here you are perfectly clean, never done anything wrong. But that's not what God does. See, God wants you to have something to compare your future to. He wants you to be able to see where you were without him compared to where you are with him. And he wants you to be able to tell the story of your success against the backdrop of your deliverance. He wants to be able to tell the story of what I've done in your life compared to what you used to be on your own. God wants to tell that story. And not only does God want to tell that story in your life, he wants to use that story to make an impact on somebody else. See, we're not winning the day just for ourselves. We're winning the day to show the people around us that there's more for you. That you don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live beat down. We're winning the day because we want other people to see that there's more for for their life. That God can give them strength. That God can deliver them. That God can give them hope. Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, Brethren, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Jesus. So we have to remember that the high calling is heaven. That all this stuff we're doing, we're trying to win the day because we're trying to make it to heaven. And we're trying to do it as successfully as we can. We want to do it the best way we can because When we're winning the day and we're being successful in the kingdom of God and the things that God wants us to be successful at, it shines a greater light on the kingdom of God. It shines a greater light that people can look at the people of God and say, hey, there's something special about those people. See, Israel wasn't more powerful than everybody else. Israel wasn't, they didn't have the biggest army. They didn't have the most gifted people in their army. The reason they were powerful is because God was with them and God did that on purpose. He chose the people that were weak and said, I'm going to make them powerful so everybody knows they didn't do this themselves. It's like putting the, the turtle on the fence post. He didn't get there by himself. And God looks at his, and God wants people to look at the church and say, they didn't get there on their own. They did it by a power that's supernatural. They're winning the day by something greater than their flesh. 
So moving forward, once we understand that we have to let go of some things, we have to let go of our guilt, we have to let go of our shame, we have to let go of our past failures, the next step is what do we do? How do we go forward? Mark Batterson said this. He said, almost anybody can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, or smart enough. And the reason he says almost is because William Hudson will never be in the NBA. Because there are some limits. Somewhere along the way, there are limits. But almost anybody can accomplish almost anything if they try and work hard enough. Your God-given destiny doesn't just happen on its own. So we understand salvation was a work of grace. God did that. But sanctification, becoming what God has envisioned for our life, growing into God's destiny, requires us to put our hand to the plow, us to put our hand to the work. We cannot and will not experience change in our lives until we make the decision to change our story. If your family has dealt, dealt with all these curses and said, this is all my family's ever been, your old story says that's who you're going to be. But the new story says I'm going to let go of that and I'm going to tell myself a different story. I'm not defeated. I'm not weak. I'm not a loser. I'm going to make it. I can live for God. I can do this. See, flipping the script requires that our new story takes legs. We've got to put some action behind it. And the only way is that we have to make the effort to make the story a reality. Mark Batterson talked about this, the tribe of Benjamin, the archers, and the, I guess you call them slingshotters. I don't know what you call them. They threw, threw rocks at people. But uh, they were known to be able to shoot arrows and sling rocks with both hands. At one point, there was, seven, there was a special company of 700 of them. They could hit a hair with a, with a slingshot or a bow and arrow with either hand. That doesn't happen on accident. They weren't born like that. And the point he was making is, yeah, there's a few people, 1% of the population can use both hands. But that, that wasn't just an outlier where they just beat it. That, that took effort. They had to practice every single day with their right hand and with their left hand. They had to practice with their strength. And with their weakness. And sometimes if we're going to become what God has called us to be and walk into our destiny, we got to walk with our strength, but we also got to work on our weakness. If you don't like people, it's going to be hard to be a light. It's going to be hard to win people to Christ. So sometimes we got to look at our left hand, our weak hand, and say, I've got to work on that if I'm going to be what God's called me to be. If I'm going to reach people, which God has called me to do, then I've got to work on my weak hand. Because I can't just say, well, I'm really good with this hand. I'll just lean on this. Because that's what everybody else did. That's what the rest of the tribes did. What made them stand out is that they used both hands. There's something called deliberate practice. So you can practice the wrong way. And you can pick up bad habits from doing things the wrong way. But when you do it the right way, it's called deliberate practice. And it's three-dimensional. There's well-defined goals. You know exactly what you're trying to do. You establish, this allows you to measure your progress because you can say, all right, I'm trying to become better at shooting the basketball. Well, if I shot 50% from the free throw line before, now I'm shooting 70% from the free throw line, I can measure that progress. So you set goals that you can, you can meet one at a time. Then there's reverse engineering. Sometimes you need to look at somebody who does something better than you, swallow your pride, find somebody who does something better than you, and, and figure out how, they're get, how they got there. Reverse engineer. Say, all right, what practices did they put in place? What are they doing to get there? If you see somebody and their kids don't hate them and your kids do hate you, maybe you need to go humble yourself, have a conversation with that person, and say, how do you talk to your kids? Because sometimes we just need, we need a little humility to say, you know what, I don't have this figured out, and I know God has something more for me. And if I want to get where God is calling me, I need to find somebody who figured it out. And then effort. We got to try hard. We got to give effort to it. You're capable of more than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. Your brain has no idea what your body is capable of, and your body has no idea what your brain is capable of. Matthew 19 26 said, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, if you look at the stories in the Bible, Abraham thought he was too old, and Jeremiah was convinced that he was too young. Moses thought he was unqualified, and Joseph thought he was overqualified. Gideon had an inferiority complex, but Jonah had a superiority complex. Peter made too many mistakes, and Paul 
had a thorn in the flesh, and we all know what David did, and he was the run of the litter. All these people had all these reasons why they couldn't do anything for God. None of that matters. Who you used to be is not the issue we're talking about. We're not talking about what you are on your own human flesh ability. We're talking about what happens when God gets involved. We're talking about when you put what I think I am out of the way and say, God, what do you want me to be? Because when I find God's plan for my life, all of a sudden I'm a lot better at this than I thought I was. See, the significance of all this is that nobody can take your place. No one can worship like you or for you. No one can serve others like you. Nobody can reach the people you reach. Nobody can love the way that you can love. Nobody can do what you can do. You're special and you were created one of a kind. And our sin gets us away from that one of a kind. That sin pulls us away from God's identity. But repentance, and when we turn our attention back to God, brings us back into alignment and we can be what God has called us to be. One of the things he talked about in this story was that to a rancher, nothing is more valuable to his ranch dog. That a ranch dog is worth 10 men when it comes to herding cattle and get them where they want them to be. So when a rancher has puppies, they'll find the runt, the smallest puppy, the runt of the litter, and they'll tie a piece of yarn around its neck. And after 12 weeks, the rancher will give all the puppies away except for the runt. And the reason why is because the runt had to work harder than everybody else to survive. Always. He always had to work harder to survive. So the runt becomes the smartest, the fastest, and the most determined. And so all the puppies, the runt's heart is the biggest. And so this is what he banks his career on. His livelihood is the one that was the smallest that everybody else counted out made it because they had to push a little harder. And you may look at your life and say, well, I don't, I don't like the way I got here. The odds are stacked against me. I don't have the personality that somebody else has. I don't have the intellect that somebody else has. I don't have the gifting that somebody else has. But if you can make it, if you can figure out and you can claw and you can scratch and you can become successful, then you can make it. Then you'll be something they never could be. Something he pointed out. There, it's not a coincidence that 15 of Britain's prime ministers were orphans by the time they were 16. Because their circumstances shaped them. See, when God uses you, he doesn't use you because you're so great. He uses you in spite of your weakness. You're never going to be great enough to impress God. What God wants to know is, can you surrender your weakness to him and say, Let, God, I'm going to work on my left hand. God, I'm going to work on the side that's not so strong. I'm going to work on my weakness so I can be what you called me to be. See, times of, and I'm almost done, times of waiting and preparation are never fun. And I just said that so y'all wouldn't get nervous. Times of waiting and preparation are never fun, but they set you up for your God-given destiny. The Lord who delivered David from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear delivered him into the hand of a Philistine. See, while David was tending sheep and watching sheep on the sideline, his brothers were there on the front line with the giant. And I'm sure it was frustrating because David, there, there's evidence that David had already fought in some battles on the backside of the desert. There's evidence that he had fought in some small skirmishes. So he knew a little bit about war. But he was stuck watching sheep while his brother were out there fighting Goliath. But what he didn't understand is God was putting him in position to do some things that were going to make him and shape him into something greater than he could be on his own. And some of you, you've been looking at everybody else and say, well, this person is getting to do this for God and this person has gotten to do that. And I lost this time because I made dumb mistakes or I did this or this happened. And you have all these reasons why you can't do anything for God. And God's saying, look, I don't need that. I just need you. I don't need you to be that person. I don't need you to have lived their life. I don't need you to have made the decisions they made. I just need you to present yourself to me and watch what I can do. I just need you to let me have today. Change the story. Stop telling yourself you're a failure. Stop telling yourself you can't make it. Stop telling yourself I wish I'd gotten church younger or I wish I'd gotten church sooner because I wasted all this time. Stop telling yourself that story and start telling yourself, man, I'm glad I made it to the house of God. I'm glad I made it to the kingdom of God. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with me. Start telling yourself, you know what, I'm going to teach those Bible studies. Yeah, I wish I'd have taught a few more, but I'm not worried about those five, ten years I lost. I'm, I can't wait till I start teaching those Bible studies that God's going to open the door for. I can't wait till I can give an offering like I want to give because God's going to bless me and He's going to be able to trust me. And we're not going to worry about the mistakes you made in your past. We're just going to trust what God can do now. Well, see, what we perceive to be isolated incidents or God's way of setting us up. I look at my life. 
And, uh, and there's so many circumstances that at the time made no sense. And I say, God, why do you have me stuck out here? Why do you have me put on the outside? Why do you have me around these people? I don't even like this. I don't like this situation, God. I'd rather be over there. And now I look back and say, God was setting me up my entire life for where I am right now. God has spent my entire life putting me in position and putting me in situations and putting me around people that have set me up for where I am right now today. And I can't get bitter. See, a testimony is evidence that God's, of God's past tense providence in your life. But faith is connecting the past tense prophecy, providence with the present tense circumstances. saying, you know what? Faith is saying, you know what? I went through those things for a reason. And now I can connect the dots and I can start to put the picture together. And now I see why I went through that sickness. And now I see why I lost my job. And now I see... While, while everything went wrong and now I see why that person walked out of me and now what used to be drag me down and what used to frustrate me, now I see that my story was greater than I thought it was. My story was bigger than I thought it was. And the testimony is a prophecy that if God did it before, that if God was working then to get where you are now, God is working now to take you where he's trying to bring you. So don't get frustrated with where you're at. Don't get mad at God because of what you're going through. There's a reason because God's setting you up. You musicians can come. As far as application, and I won't go into a bunch of detail about this because I have more I want to say really quick. But as far as the application, I want you to take this home and make a list of life goals. Goals that you want to accomplish. Big goals, small goals. One of my goals that I wrote, I started a few years ago. I made a, a list of about five or six goals that I wanted to accomplish. And I was doing pretty good. Last year I did zero. But I tried to accomplish these, these, these goals. And one of the goals was I wanted to write a book. And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to do that. But I was working on it. And so as of a couple of weeks ago, I got the first manuscript done. And I'm, this year I'll be able to publish a book finally. Because I made a goal. And I could say I can't do it. But I made up in my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work and I'm going to make this happen. And some of you have goals and you're saying, well, it's really small, it's really big. It's either too big or too small. You just get that goal in mind and say, I'm going to make this goal. And figure out, all right, what is your goal? What's, gonna, what's it going to take to get there? And what's the first step you got to take? And finally, identify your weaknesses. What do you need to work on? And what skill set do you need to cultivate? Go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to go back to our text for a moment. We see the Israelites are complaining about their predicament. They're romanticizing about their time in Egypt. See, parting the Red Sea was easy compared to changing Israel's story because they convinced themselves so much. And just a few weeks after the miraculous deliverance, the Israelites started complaining about the manna that God had given them. Now, if I remember right, this was a miracle. Manna falling from heaven was a miracle. And we say, what? why would they complain about a miracle? I would never do that. But last I checked, our marriage is a miracle. And our children are a miracle. And the body that God has given us and the mind that God has given us is a miracle. And we all at times have complained about our children. We all at times have complained about this body that we're stuck in. We've all complained about things. See, the, the nation of Israel said, We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt and without cost, the cucumbers, the melon, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. They had forgotten that the food, the food was free because they were not. See, Israel's problem, our problem, is selective memory. And if we remember wrong, it can debilitate us. It can tear us down. If we convince ourselves what we can't be, we'll tear ourselves down. See, we don't just see the world as it is. We see the world through our eyes as we are. So if we're defeated, we're going to see a defeated world. If we're depressed, we're going to see every situation through the eyes of depression. If we're fearful, we're going to see every, eye, every situation through our eyes of fear. But if we're going to win today, we've got to rewrite our yesterday. So that I'm not living in fear today. I'm living in victory. See, historical revisionism is something we usually don't like. It's a practice of rewriting history to make it say something different than maybe what really happens. But we need sometimes to put that into practice in our life. And have a little historical revisionism in the way we remember what we came through. And instead of looking at my deepest, darkest time as a failure, look at it in light of the cross. Look at it from the other side of an empty tomb and realize that 
If I wasn't there, I couldn't be here. If it wasn't for the cross, Jesus died for me and loved me then just as much as he loved me now. So that moment wasn't a failure. It was just a step on my journey to get me to where I am today. You're not defined by the things you've done wrong. You're defined by the blood of Calvary. You're not defined by the mistakes that you've made. You're not defined by the places you've been. You're not defined by the things you haven't done. I know I'm teaching, but we're going to follow the Holy Ghost. There's some of you, you're looking at your family and saying, I'm a failure. And you're saying, I made a failure of my family. And you look at your, and maybe you don't have the relationship with your kids that you want to have with them. You're not a failure. Let's flip the script. Let's change your story. We could just say, this is how it is and this is how it always will be. Or we could say, you know what, I'm going to change the story. My story, yes, the relationship isn't good right now, but tomorrow is going to be better. Next week it's going to be better. In fact, I was bitter toward this person. I'm going to start praying for this person every day. And I used to be where I couldn't look at this person. Now I'm going to start seeking the face of God for that person. And suddenly I'm going to start rewriting my story from the perspective of a victor. I'm going to start rewriting my story from a place of power and authority. That I'm not weak and I'm powerless. My story is going to change. My home is going to change. My marriage is going to change. My relationships are going to change. My walk with God is going to change. Those addictions are going to break. Tonight, all this stuff is about letting go of the past, which we know it is basic sense is repentance. And maybe everybody in here is repentant, but we can repent again. We all can look at something in our life, and maybe it's not a sin. Maybe it's not a black and white, don't do this, don't do that. Maybe it's the way you've handled the situation. Maybe it's the way you've looked at yourself. Maybe it's the way you've looked at somebody else. And God wants to deal with that today, and we're going to repent together. We're going to repent right where we are. We're going to repent together, and we're going to bring it to God, and we're going to lay it at his feet, and we're going to say, you know what, Jesus, I made a mistake. God, I've looked at my life the wrong way for all these years. God, I've been looking at my relationships through defeated eyes. I've been looking through my relationships and my lifestyle with defeated eyes, but God, I'm laying it all at your feet today. And God, I believe my story is going to be different from now on. God, I believe that I'm letting go of the the negative self-talk. I'm letting go of the defeatism. I'm letting go of all these things, and I'm going to trust that I'm a victor. I'm going to trust that I'm victorious. I'm going to trust that God's hand is on my life. I'm going to tell the story tomorrow when I wake up that my marriage is getting better. I'm going to tell the story tomorrow that my relationship with my children is getting better. I'm going to tell the story tomorrow that I'm going to win this thing, that I'm beating this addiction, that I'm not who I used to be. So right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer and repent and say, God, search my heart. Lord God, God, if it, let conviction flow. Align me with your will. Align me with your plan. Align me with what you're trying to do. Because God, I don't want to settle for the same old, same old. God, I don't want to settle for the same story. I'm tired of living the same cycle day after day after day. But God, I want to be victorious. God, I want to have what I've seen other people have. God, I want to win the day. I want to win my relationships. God, I want to win my family. God, I want to win in my home. God, I want to win in my giving and my finances, God. We're going down to-